Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracedeugene.com. Here's the podcast. So I think it's, it's not really up for debate that Top Gun Maverick is the best Tom Cruise movie of all time. Um, and this isn't me trying to convince you of that. I have other things that are more important like Jesus to talk about today. But speaking of Tom Cruise, <laughs> another set of movies that is actually quite notable of his are the Mission Impossible movies. You guys are familiar with this, right? And inevitably, towards the beginning of every Mission Impossible movie, you hear the line in an accent that I won't uh, try to impersonate. Good morning, Mr. Hunt. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, involves, and then the mission is stated. And for any initial Mission Impossible fans, this statement rings very familiar. Like, you're, you're familiar with this, you, you've heard it before, maybe you've even, you know, fantasized about doing something super cool like in those movies. Me, I don't, because most of it involves heights and being suspended from some sort of line, and that's just not how I was built. So... <clears throat> But Ethan Hunt is this secret agent, and he's got the most impossible missions that they always assign him to. It's high risk, and the mission objective, though, is always made very clear to him up front. Should he choose to accept the mission, he knows what is expected of him. It's never like, oh, what is my mission? I don't, I don't, well, I'll just take it and we'll figure it out as we go. Now, there is a little bit of, you know, impromptu strategy involved in these movies, but he is always very clear of what is expected from him when he accepts the mission. And in a strikingly familiar fashion, when Jesus entered human history and began his ministry, he invited us into his mission. And he made his mission very clear of what would be expected along the way. He didn't say, like, hey, we're going to be on mission, peace out. Like, he made it very clear, this is what will be expected. This is how I will be with you. This is what fruit of this mission and harvest will look like. So your mission as followers of Jesus or folks that are seeking what it looks like to find and follow Jesus, should you choose to accept it, awaits you today. The big idea of this message is, as we continue to talk about how to build the unshakable life that is built on the rock of Jesus, not the sand that will be blown away in the storms of this life, is that the unshakable life helps others to find and follow Jesus. And this mission is to make disciples. Jesus said it himself, as we'll see in the scriptures. In other words, the mission is to help other people find Jesus and to follow Jesus and to accept this mission of making disciples is to respond to a threefold call a call to be, a call to deny, and a call to go. So that's what we're gonna talk about, but first I'm just gonna pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this mission and thank you for this family that we get to receive this word in the context of. Father, I pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit to walk this out faithfully and take just one step a day closer to you. We praise you for your word and this family in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So we're going to start out in Mark chapter 1, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And it starts out in verse 16. You can read along with me on the screens or in your own Bible or app. I'll be reading out of the ESV today, but uh, they're all good. So whatever you got, go ahead and just make sure you're opening it. 
Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, or farther he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him, him being Jesus. Immediately, they followed him. How many times are we called to do something, and we want to debate it or try to intellectualize it first? You don't see them say, follow you where? What is this going to look like? How will I be provided for? It's follow me, and they go, right? Now, I'm sure there was some anxiety and different things happening, but there is a call and then there is a going and following to be disciples, to be fishers of men. Now, in order to help lead somebody somewhere, we have to have experienced that thing. Amen? If we're called to make disciples, we first have to be a disciple. Good luck leading someone to do something that you haven't first done yourself. Now, I went through this phase of reading books about expeditions to Mount Everest. I, I was just fascinated with that, and there's so much that goes in to it. I will never do it, and that's not like a, I'll never go to Eugene, you guys have heard that story. That's just like, I'm just built different, okay? Like, I'll pray for you while you go up there, but that's not my thing. But there are fascinating lessons in all of these stories on perseverance, on leadership, and decision-making. And one thing that I realized is that folks that wanted to climb Mount Everest always had some sort of legitimate support system and guides. They don't just say, Mount Everest? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. And they just go. First of all, there's all kinds of logistics, but also the mountain's kind of high. It's kind of dangerous. And if you haven't been there, you haven't been there, right? Like, you you, how are you supposed to do something for the first time that is so dangerous, that is so demanding, unless you have someone that has been there before? Now, both local Sherpas and some noted climbers who had done this climb a number of times would likely be the guide. They would pay for these services for someone who had been successful, more than not, and for local Sherpas that knew how to navigate the land and didn't need all the Western comforts of oxygen and things like that to get to the top of the mountain. <clears throat> you know who never has led someone up Mount Everest? An aspiring climber. Think about that. There's never been an aspiring climber that says, come, let's go. I'm going to take you up Mount Everest. Well, have you been there before? No, but we got this. But how do, do you know the way? I, I read about it. Like, we're good. Come on. I got faith. <laughs> right? Like, the aspiring climber has never led an expedition up Mount Everest. The guy who's just read about it and then wanted to lead others to do something he hasn't done yet. That guy has never at least led a successful one that's been noted. Uh, expedition up Mount Everest. It's always been someone that has been there, that has been successful at least the majority of the time and was well-respected and able to work with the locals. That is who leads these expeditions up Mount Everest. And similarly, before we can make disciples, we first have to be a disciple. We can't lead someone to a person, a place, or a mission that we haven't ourselves engaged in and walked in the footsteps of. Now, Needless to say, we do live in a world where recent college graduates call themselves life coaches and consultants, <clears throat> and there can be this idea that simply acquiring knowledge is what prepares you or certifies you to lead others. 
However, the experience of having previously and successfully done something is the main requirement for leading others in something. Amen? So we need to be disciples before we can make disciples. And a disciple means a lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. A lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. And this call to follow Jesus is not following some philosophical method of a person. It's not just following the text of a rabbi. It's a relationship of following a person. A person who came here to earth because he loved you so much that he came to live the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died. He rose again three days later conquering death, sin, and Satan. And then he gave us the opportunity for new life as we put our faith in him. That's the guy that we follow. That's the guy we follow. It's a person. It's not a moral code or a philosophy. And as we respond to the call to follow Jesus, he promises to make us and help us become all that we need to be to fulfill this mission that he's given us. Now, as we know from his first group of disciples, the call to follow Jesus is also a call to follow Jesus together. Amen? It's also a call to follow him together with other followers. Community is a vital context in maturing as a disciple. It's a vital context in maturing as a disciple. We're not called to be rogue Christians. Just me, my Bible, and my podcast. Me, my Bible, and my podcast. And if the lifestyle of being a Christian was to be done by yourself, Jesus would have modeled that in his life and the way he instructed others to live their lives, right? If he said, come follow me, we're going to do this together, and I'm going to send you in groups, in pairs, do you think that it might be important for us to mature in following him to be in the context of community? Right? If we're finding and following Jesus, and that was his example, then who are we to think that me, my Bible, my coffee, and my podcast are going to help me mature in my walk with him? When you try to follow Jesus removed from the context of community, you are simply a consumer of the things of Jesus. But when you're in community, you contribute to the movement of Jesus in that place. Make no mistake, we are called not to just be consumers, but contributors into what God is doing through his church, through the body of Christ. Family, Jesus calls us to follow him, and out of following him, we contribute to the redemptive work he's initiated in this world. We contribute to the lives of others. We contribute to the local body, this church, the local church that has the opportunity to collectively make much more of an impact than any individual could on their own. We are part of something bigger, and we truly, when we come together, are better together. We are called to be contributors, not simply consumers, and that must be done in community. So the appropriate response to this is to leave everything that does not align with what Jesus is calling you to do, everything that does not align with the priorities of a life of a Jesus follower and serving and following him. Like all those things that interrupt or interfere with us fully following Jesus, we are to leave those things behind and follow him. So in order to help others find and follow Jesus, we first must be a disciple. And then we must comprehend and practice the call to deny That sounds weird, Pastor. Mark chapter 8, 34 through 37 says this. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus makes it plain and simple that what will be required for us to be his disciples is to learn to live a lifestyle or a life of self-denial. Now, that sounds like a fun topic, doesn't it? <clears throat> so let's get personal. You know what else requires a healthy dose of self-denial? Marriage. Parenting. Anybody else relate? A little self-denial involved in those? As my wife squirms uncomfortably, not knowing what I'm about to talk about. <clears throat> I am exponentially better as a parent and as a husband when I set aside my selfish desires and ways and seek others first and seek what the Lord has for us in any given moment. Amen? <clears throat> when I do that, when I set aside those selfish desires, when I set aside maybe the things that would fulfill me at a fleshly level in any given moment, and I consider others' needs and what God has for us in any given moment, I am a better husband, and I am a better dad. And you know how I know that? How, Pastor? <laughs> when I make the choice to not do what my flesh wants in a moment, like play Xbox or veg out on YouTube or retreating to my own to wind down from a stressful day and I choose to connect with my kids to engage them in the things they want to engage in, not the things I want to drag them into and the things that they're excited about, our relationships are better. They seem to view me not as just a primary authority figure in the home that's trying to keep order and manage their morals and their behaviors, but as someone who loves and cares for them, desires to protect them, knows them, and wants to help them flourish in the midst of whatever they may be going through. There is a deeper connection, there's deeper attachment that helps me to actually steward their hearts instead of their behaviors. I'm a better father. And I know I'm a better husband because I was reflecting on this idea of denying oneself or death to self about a month ago out loud with my wife. And I said, I need to get that tattooed right on my forearm, on my inner arm, like death to self to remind myself that that's the best decision I can make in any given moment. Is, nope, death to self, death to self. I need a reminder of that daily. Now, she said, that might be a little weird to someone who doesn't understand. I said, oh, that's a great conversation starter. But... My wife does not like tattoos. Both of my tattoos I got prior to meeting her. And she was like, that's a good idea. I can get behind that. Do you think my wife doesn't want me dying to self every day, every moment I get to make me a better dad and a better husband? Absolutely. It makes me a better leader, a better follower of Jesus. She said, I can get behind that one. Like, All right, say no more. There's fruit of that in my life. A call to self-denial is not a call to depravity. It's a call into the fullness of what God has for us. When I deny myself, it's not just like, oh, how can I live a poverty mindset and just live on the very bare minimum and just deprive myself so that I can be some sort of social and physical martyr. What it is is I get to step into the fullness of what God has for me because it's not about me, it's about him in me. It's about him in me. The paradox is the act of losing our life for the sake of the gospel means we don't actually lose it after all. We gain so much more than if we try to save our own life when we deny ourselves. In order to help others find and follow Jesus, first, we got to be a disciple. And then we must deny ourselves. And finally, 
we got to go. We got to put this into action. Again, this isn't just about, oh, I understand that. I get that at an intellectual level. I even believe that. But can you actually believe something if it doesn't impact the way you live? If you don't act it out, if you don't take steps of obedience, do you actually believe it? I'll let you wrestle with that one. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. <clears throat> this is the scripture where we see Jesus commission us to make disciples. He commissions those who are following him to make disciples. Now let's break this great commission down a little bit because that can seem overwhelming, right? Like Jesus is about to like go away again and he's telling them to do all these things. And in other scriptures we know that he says you'll do even greater things than I did. Like how does the human mind even like fathom this? So why? Why is this great commission important? Because Jesus tells us that all authority has been given to him in this area. The highest authority in him has given us authority to do this. He's passing on something. He's imparting something into us so that we can engage this life and this world and the powers and principalities of darkness with his authority, with his mission and his purpose. So what's the commission then? That's why he's given us that authority. He's passed that along to what? To go and make disciples. As we go about our day-to-day -day lives, we go with a renewed sense of purpose to help others find and follow Jesus. We don't wait for them to come to us. We don't just say, oh, if God really wants it, he'll just lead somebody to me. Can he do that? Sure. But what does it look like to be an active participant in the meaningful relationships in your life? If I just said, if Brie really wanted me to love her, if she really wanted me to hug her or kiss her, she would come ask me for it. Oh, yeah, that's going to make her feel loved. That's going to be a good marriage. <laughs> it's going to help me lead well from the pulpit, right? Like, who thinks about their relationships that are meaningful in that way? But if I can fathom that with my wife, this earthly relationship that God undoubtedly has gifted and graced me with, However, how much more should I be intentional in engaging what he has for my life? I love my wife. I believe she's the best human thing that's ever been given to me, the best gift. But I love Jesus more. I love his mission more. I love his purpose and his call more. And she knows that and trusts that in me, and that's what makes us better. This is important. How, we can't just say, yeah, I love you, Jesus, but I'll just let you deal with your messy people. It doesn't work that way. If you don't love the things God loves, do you love him? That's a whole nother debate. We're not. Who are we to go to? Your best friend? Just your biological family? The neighbors that you like to hang out with? Or everybody? He says we are to go to all nations. Among the places listed were enemies and considered outcasts to the people who receive this. We go to everyone and anyone. I believe with all my heart that Jesus wants everyone to experience his redemptive work in their lives. 
that he wants everyone to experience reconciliation and the power of his Holy Spirit to transform their hearts and lives and relationships. Amen? Amen. How will they know unless someone tells them? It's in the Bible, by the way. How will they know? How will they know unless someone tells them? What if that someone in that instance is you? I don't know. I don't, I don't have all the, question, or all the answers to all the questions. I don't have my Bible memorized. I don't know what to say if they ask me this. I don't know what to say if they ask me this. I don't either. I don't either. But I care about all the hearts that are represented in our community and all around us. And I know that my shortcomings, my weaknesses might actually testify to the power of God more than anything I can build up in my own person. As people get to experience God working through me, what a better testimony to what is available to them than like, wow, Chris is really cool. I should follow him. No, I'll just let you down. I want to point them to Jesus. So what if weakness was a weapon rather than a curse? What if your weakness actually helped you approach Jesus together instead of trying to put you in some other category? Like, yeah, come learn everything I know. Because his power is perfected in our weakness, amen? We go to everybody. How do we do this? What's the method? Baptizing and teaching them to observe. These are key elements of the discipleship process that we baptize them in water. We get them filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We teach them to observe everything that he has commanded them to. It's an apprenticeship of learning. Here's what Jesus did. Here's how he lived his life. Here's how he calls us to live. Now let's replicate that. Let's teach the next person how to do that. Let's teach the next person how to love and crave the word of God. Let's teach the next person how to intercede in prayer, how to come before him in worship, not just to recite a song, but to come praise the living God. Like, let's teach other people how to do that. Everything that you've observed Jesus do, teach them to do that. That sounds like a lot. It's not all done in a day. How to eat an elephant? Bite at a time, baby. But the worst thing that can happen, well, one of the worst things that can happen, is if you go on day after day after day and you look back, how have I got closer to Jesus? Oh, I haven't because I haven't figured out in my head yet. What is just the next step? What does it look like to learn to read scripture in a more living way, to use some other resources that we can help you find so that you would understand and it would come alive in you? What does it look like to join a small group, to join a prayer group? Whatever it is, how do you engage Jesus at least just one more step day after day and then help someone who's at least one step behind you do the same? See, there's this myth that you have to have arrived before you can lead someone somewhere else. All you got to do is be where they're about to be. And one step further. Oh, come on. I was just there yesterday, but come on. Come with me. Come with me. And it's not a dragging them. It's like, let's do this together. Just one step ahead. And you know what's cool about that? It's not just about let me tell you what to do. But if I'm leading people and they're catching up to me, whoo, I got to make sure that I'm picking up my pace a little bit, right? you got to pick up your pace a little bit. Man, I need more of Jesus because this person's growing. You've entrusted him to me. I need more of you. I need to hear from you more. And you're pursuing him with more fervor because of what? Not trying to earn something because you're making disciples. Because there's a harvest trailing you. Because there's a harvest trailing you. We baptize him in water. 
We teach them how to observe and obey the teachings of Jesus. Not just learn them, but put them into action. And then he says, remember, I'm with you always. Jesus promises to be with us as we faithfully go and make disciples. God with us, God in us, and God through us. It's not a, go do this so that you can earn favor from me. Go do this to earn a merit badge. Go do this to put on your resume. No, he says, go. I'm going to be with you always. This is teamwork. This is us together. This is this amazing interplay of my power going along in your weakness and some of the strengths I've given you and seeing amazing things happen. We get to insert in to what God is doing in this world, and that's an honor and a privilege. God with us, in us, and through us. And within these few verses, we see tremendous clarity on the motivation, mission, and method in making disciples. Now, you can go to a bunch of different churches and they have different verbiage and ways to say what this looks like in their foundations courses or discipleship paths or do they do small groups or a midweek service or what does that look like? It doesn't matter. We're just taking steps to following Jesus. Our way is not the best way. It's just our way. It's the way God's calling us to do things. But that's our way. So if you're here and this is your family, jump in. By all means, jump into whatever God's doing here if he's called you here. <clears throat> all this is accompanied by the authority and the presence of Jesus within us as we obey him. So this mission is to firstly become a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. Secondly, to deny ourselves as we pursue Jesus. And lastly, to help others do the same, to go and help others do the same. Now, all three of these need to be present in our lives in an ongoing fashion. Being a disciple is not a one-time commitment, and then we move on. It's not like, I give my life to Jesus, I'm a disciple, woo, put my badge on, and I just go about my life. Like, no, this is an ongoing, every day, for some of us, every hour, every minute decision to make that a priority in a way of life. But first and foremost, if you're here today, or maybe you're watching online with us and you've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like that's the first step. You're like, man, I love the idea of following this Jesus guy. This way of life seems invigorating. Like this seems like a really cool way to do things and really cool people to do it with. Well, the first step is you got to surrender your life to Jesus. You got to say, I'm not qualified to be my own king. I cannot lead my own life. I need Jesus to do it. I need him to show me how to live. I need him to be present and empowering in my life. And you need to make that choice first. If that's you today and you're like, I've been just trying to figure this thing out. And I don't exactly know what it looks like. But I know I want to make Jesus king of my life. I want to follow him. Make him Lord and Savior. I'd ask you to stick around after service. Fill out a card. Talk to me. Do something as a step of action. Because a belief without a step of action is just knowledge. And knowledge doesn't actually help you in your relationships all the time, does it? Take a step. Do something about it. So maybe you need to make that first-time decision. Maybe you say, yeah, of course I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I read the Bible. Yeah, I pray. But I'm not really doing so well at that being a disciple thing. <laughs> I may not be following him and engaging in community in the context of, of lifestyle that the Bible calls us to live then I want to challenge you today too. What does it look like to take that step? Yeah. Say, you know what, even if it's just I'm going to go check out a small group in the coming weeks, like 
Great, great first step. If you're going to, maybe it's, yeah, I'll say yes to having that awkward dinner at the pastor's house that they keep inviting me to. Then take that step. Maybe it's Quinn because he's got a cool mustache. Go to his place. Have lunch. Whoever it is, engage with somebody in relationship and get to know what this family is about. Get to know what to take that next step. Enter into the discipleship process that will bear fruit and lend to harvest in your life. Now, if it's one of those decisions that you need to make, when I close, Quinn's going to pray for you. We're going to tag team it today. So I need to put the guitar back on. But I want to urge you that every day when you wake up and you come to the Lord, you get in your word, you pray, you write down what he's saying to you, whatever that looks like for you, that you would say, God, show me how I can do better at being a disciple. God, show me where I need to deny myself to step into the fullness of what you have for me. And Father, where are you telling me to go today? Where are you telling me to go? Who needs to hear this? Give me a picture, give me a face, give me a name. Where is my, where and who is my assignment for the day? And I, I guarantee you, if you start your days like that, and then you actually obey and do it, <laughs> oh, the stories you'll have to tell in the coming months. The testimonies that will be flourishing in this church in the coming months. The faith that will be invigorated deep inside your bones as you engage with the Lord in that way and his purposes for this life. I assure you, you will not regret it. No pastor, eloquent words, or discipleship process are ever going to make you do anything. But we can help lead you. But the next step is yours. What are you going to do about it? What is tomorrow going to look like? How are you going to change in that and take a step closer to Jesus and his heart for this world tomorrow? We moved here from a very comfortable place in a much bigger church to start a community that would engage a very lost city in this way. Not because I came here for a get-rich scheme or something else. We came here because God said go, and we begrudgingly some days said okay. And we started with a seed of Lindsay Layton. It was just us. Because God's heart for this city was to make disciples, to see people reached with the good news of Jesus. Shortly after that, I meet this tattooed, big, hairy, bearded guy on campus. And after many years, <laughs> Doc gives his life to Jesus. And the harvest starts to come. And then we look around this room. Did you know that there is very few of us that were in this room when we started this church? But God's doing something special, and he's got a part for you to play in it. Amen? Quinn, come pray. You guys could bow your heads, just close your eyes, and just as Pastor Chris said, as we close, it's such a beautiful moment when we get the privilege and the opportunity to respond to the word that has been preached, the Holy Spirit has spoken this morning so evident. And if you're here in this room or you're online and you want to make that first-time commitment to the Lord, you want to follow Jesus, you want to say, hey, I don't have it all together, and I can't have it all together. I am not, like Pastor Chris said, qualified to be the king of my life. But Jesus, you're qualified. I want to follow you. Just right now, repeat after me in your own heart, Father God, I choose to follow Jesus. 
I recognize that he is the son of God, that he has all authority, and I want to follow him. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I want to be yours forever, Jesus. I choose to put my faith, my life, my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you guys are in this room and you've been following Jesus for whether it's 20 years, 20 minutes, or just even right now, you said yes to following Jesus. The life of a disciple is the life of repentance. It's this very churchy word, but it really just means to turn away from or turn around and walk in a different direction. That's that self-denial. And we're so excited that we get to moment by moment as believers in Jesus, repent, turn from our own way and choose his way. Amen? Amen. So let's do that as we worship and close out this morning. If you guys could stand on up. We're going to end with a worship song again. And whatever you may be feeling the Holy Spirit's bringing to your attention, bring it to Jesus. Lay it down on his altar where our lives get altered. Amen? Amen. Amen.